welcome everyone. It's good to see you all this, this evening, and uh, it is uh, a privilege to share. And uh, tonight we're starting uh, Romans chapter 8, which is just a wonderful chapter, and um, it's a lot, I don't want to say easier to teach than chapter 7, but it is, uh, it's a wonderful chapter. It's probably my second most favorite chapter in Romans. So you can open to chapter 8. Before we start, let's, uh, let's invite the Lord. Father, tonight as we open your word, we're thankful that, Lord, we have this place to meet, and Lord, you have um, given us so much, and Lord, uh, as believers here, we're thankful for the uh, transformation that we have uh, by being in Christ, and Lord, as we look at your word tonight, we pray that it would not be me who is speaking, Lord, it is you, and Father, uh, we pray that the hearts that are listening would be fertile ground for your word to settle. Lord, may we leave here uh, stronger in our faith than when we came in. Lord, we ask your blessing on this time. Lord, may we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. On May 24th, 1738, a discouraged missionary went very unwillingly to a religious meeting in London. There, a miracle took place. About a quarter before nine, he wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And then an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That missionary was John Wesley. The message he heard that evening was a preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And just a few months before, Wesley had written this in his journal. I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? That evening in London, his question was answered. The result was the great Wesleyan revival that swept England and transformed the nation. That's exactly what we'll be looking at tonight in Romans chapter 8. So let me read through those 11 verses that we're going to study tonight, and then we'll uh, dig a little deeper uh, into each verse. <clears throat> Therefore, there is, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we uh, start looking in the beginning of this chapter. We see that uh, in verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what we see Paul writing here is, if we are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Well, why is that? That's because the Father cannot condemn the Son. And if we're in Christ, we are not condemned. So the Father does not condemn us because we are in Christ. Although we deserve condemnation, right? Jesus bore it all on the cross for us. John 8.36 says this, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. As a matter of fact, I think uh, someone on Sunday actually read that verse uh, as we were gathering for corporate prayer. John 3.8 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The other thing about this verse I think that's important is we don't live as if we are less condemned and we even proved our standing in Jesus by being in Christ. Okay? That's not the case. We are transformed. There is a difference. We are completely transformed. We're just not a little better than we were. We are transformed to be more like Christ. So there's no condemnation, even though I deserve the punishment of my sinful flesh. You know, as I was kind of pondering this, you know, we we have a a, a Lord that went to the the cross for us, who bore our sins while we were yet sinners. We come to Christ and understand what he did for us and and I know that you know most of the times it just hits our heart. But yet we still sin. And, and I, 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 it just amazes me, the love of Christ for us. He went to the cross while we were sinners. He realized we were going to sin after he did that. And yet he loves us so much that his taking on flesh allowed us to, to have a home in heaven. So, shouldn't we be transformed? Shouldn't we be different than one before Christ? It's reasonable now, as a believer, to serve him, right? We will get to chapter 12, which is my favorite chapter. Uh, I don't know, a couple of months down the road, I'm sure. But I know uh, Pastor Tim uh, cites this verse often, but uh, 12.1 talks about... um, giving our, our bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. Now, that verse starts with, therefore, brethren, I beseech you. And what Paul is saying is there, that therefore is because of what Christ did for us, him going to the cross, saving us from our sins. It should be easy or reasonable for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's think about the flip side. If you're not in Christ, you are condemned. And that is uh, a harsh but truthful statement. If you're sitting here tonight and Christ isn't your Savior, you're still condemned to eternal separation from Him. 
Spurgeon has a great quote on this particular verse, and it says, It is no pleasant task to us to have to speak of this matter, but who, we, who are we that we should ask for a pleasant task? What God hath witnessed in Scripture is the sum and substance of what the Lord's servants are to testify to the people. If you are not in Christ Jesus and are walking in the flesh, you have not escaped from condemnation. So we have this work on the cross that has transformed us. For those who who haven't accepted the Lord, they're still condemned. We should should celebrate our salvation, right? And so in, in the beginning of this chapter, we see that Roman 8, Romans chapter 8 begins with there's no condemnation. The book ends, the chapter ends, I'm sorry, that with no separation. And in between, there's no defeat. So just a wonderful book, and, and we'll, we're going to enjoy uh, digging into it these next, uh, next few weeks. So there's no condemnation. We find peace and joy in our walk because we are transformed. Our standing, our place in Christ And him alone has changed us forever. Next we see in verse 1 that we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Our very nature has changed. Does that mean that we do not sin? No. It means that we do not have that sin nature in us anymore. So our transformed life will still battle the flesh, but it's it's not our nature to want to sin. We should daily want to walk in the Spirit. And it's an active choice that we have to make. Um, I'll tell you how my day is every day. Uh, once I get to work, I have the Bible and the devotion on my desk. And I'm, I share an office with somebody, and even though he's right around the corner, I get there before him. I don't know how that works. But um, So I'll read a devotion. And by the way, I read uh, Wisdom for Today, Pastor Chuck Smith's uh, devotion. It's great. Uh, it, is, it starts in uh, Genesis, goes to Revelation. He touches on every book, some books more than others, but it is a great devotion. I gave it to uh, many of the leaders here uh, for Christmas, but uh, I read it every day now. So I start my day with that, and then uh, he highlights a verse uh, in the beginning of every devotion of the day, and that is my reading for the day, and sometimes it's uh, several paragraphs, sometimes it's a chapter, sometimes it's a book if it's not a long one. But I need to make that active choice to want to walk in the Word and in the Spirit. So if anyone's interested in that devotion, by the way, I think we still have a couple of them here. Um, so I love that easy read of his devotion and then getting into the Word, um, and I need that so that I am strengthened in my walk, uh, really, to, to walk in the Spirit. Because even after that time, and even though I work for a company where a lot of things aren't allowed, and as in other companies, if, you know, if, there's, if anyone is cursing, they are going to lose their job. And there's, we run a pretty tight ship, and that, that's good. Um, but there's still so much more that the world bombards me with. Um, and it's all over. It's, you know, it's in my job. It's when I go to lunch or, or, or wherever. It's the world and, and Satan's schemes. Um, they're, they're all around us. So uh, it's important to make sure that we get in the Word uh, every morning. And I don't know if it was Spurgeon or Wesley who said, if you don't spend some time with 
the Lord in the morning, you'll scarcely find them all day. And I know I've told that to the, to the guys in uh, our study on Thursdays. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I need the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and the shield of faith. I need all of those things in my, my morning to uh, make the stand against the devil the whole day. Uh, so I need and want the strength of the Lord as I start my day. Verses 2 through 4 we see, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who, didn't, who did not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There's a an old saying that there's two certainties in life. And what are they? Death and taxes. Well, we need to add sin. Okay, we need to add sin. Here we see that there is an absolute law of sin and death. That's what Paul's writing here. So, I guess everyone would agree that you've sinned. And short of the Lord returning, before you die, you're going to die. Okay? So those two things are absolute, that's an absolute law. But the good news is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus is stronger than the law of sin and death. And, and though we inevitably will sin as Christians, we are free from the dominion of sin and the law of death. So we saw in verse 1, we are free from the guilt of sin. Verse 2 tells us we are free from the power of sin. And what a, I mean, isn't it wonderful that we've been transformed? I mean, I think it's somewhere in here I, 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 I ask, you know, isn't that the most important thing that ever happened to you when you came to the Lord? And isn't it the best thing that ever happened to you? And shouldn't we be celebrating that? And then when you think about the um, condemnation for those who are not in Christ and the eternal separation, we're not talking about, you know, a day, a week, a month, a year, a lifetime. We're talking about eternity, eternal separation. That should burden us, every one of us. You know, we all have, uh, I'm guessing we all have lost family members. That should be a burden to us. And we were, I was just talking to a brother earlier. It's a burden. That's why we're in Bonaire. That's a burden of those that are lost without Christ. And it's such a, Salvation is, is, is so freely given. It's already been done. You know, when I came to the Lord, and you know, most people would think that things were good for me before coming to the Lord. Um, I, I wish I would have done it earlier. I, I, I wasted so much time and... and uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't fun. And uh, no matter what anyone thinks, if you're not in Christ right now, you're missing out. And this vapor of a life that we have does not matter in eternity. It is but a vapor and it's gone so quickly. Don't, spend, don't waste your time looking for the temporal things of this world. 
our transformed life. And and I would hope that, you know, those who are lost and, and, and know us are jealous of the joy that we have that comes through knowing Jesus as our Savior. Um, one thing about the law, though, I need to bring up. It lacks the power of the Spirit because the law speaks to our flesh. The law is good. It um, sheds light. It even reveals God to us. But it does not give us the power to overcome our flesh and live a life that's pleasing to God. The transforming work of the Spirit is what gives us power over sin. The law is right, but the Spirit gives might. I, I have to tell you this. You know, as I was reading, I you know, read a bunch of different things as I'm preparing, and uh, I don't know if the Lord gave me that or if I read that. But I'm going to claim it for now. If you happen to see it at some point, just remember what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, that there's nothing new under the sun. So whether he gave it to me or not, someone else has said this at some point. So the law is right, but the Spirit gives might. Um, The work done by Jesus on the cross has transformed me from an old man to a new man. I particularly claim it the older I get in age. Um, But the law cannot control us. The indwelling Spirit of God is what enables me to walk in obedience. And praise the Lord that I'm transformed. We also see here that Jesus took on flesh to identify with those who were bound by it. And though Jesus came in the likeness, verse 3 says, in the likeness of sinful flesh, Paul is careful to say that Jesus was not sinful himself. In verse 3, we also see that Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And so, since we are in Christ, we fulfill the law. Our punishment was fulfilled by Jesus. Paul did not say that we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. He said that the law is fulfilled in us, not by us. What's ironic is that Jesus was treated as a sinner so that we could be righteous. In verse 4, we see this, the, old, the age-old battle of a believer, whether we feed the spirit or whether we feed the, fl- uh, the flesh. And uh, even as a Christian, our life should be marked uh, by obedience to the spirit. Pastor Chuck <clears throat> puts it this way. Man is a threefold being, mind, body, and spirit. If I am ruled by my body... then my mind will be concerned with the things of the body. If I am ruled by the Spirit, my mind will be concerned with the things of the Spirit. Where we allow allow our mind to go is is where we're going to go, right? Those things that we allow in it is where our body will follow. It's where our flesh will follow. Uh, If we stay involved with the things of the Spirit and, and put our minds on the things above, we will then walk in the Spirit. Spurgeon makes this observation as a believer. Observe carefully that the flesh is there. He does not walk after it, but it is there. It is there striving and warring, vexing and grieving. 
and it will be there till he's taken up to heaven. It is there as an alien and detested force and not there so to have dominion over him. He does not walk after it nor practically obey it. He does not accept it as his guide nor allow it to drive him into rebellion. So Spurgeon saying the flesh is always there. It's always a battle for us. The, the important thing for us to know is that the spirit is stronger. That is where our victory is. That is what allows us to overcome the wants of the flesh. Now, just recently, we saw the spirit at work uh, in this church. Uh, and um, if you were here Sunday, you might have got a glimpse. But um, Sarah White and Sunshine Irvin had both talked to the same family in different places in a pretty short period of time. Both ministered to them. Uh, both, you know, gave this family was uh, without a home here. Uh, husband had lost the job, speak very little English. <clears throat> but they felt the Spirit leading them to minister to them. So um, Sarah had done that. Sunshine, I, I think, was after that, had uh, seen the same family at a different place and invited them to church. And uh, so they ended up coming Sunday. And um, what was neat for me is I seen the body of Christ come together to minister to their needs. And uh, I don't think they were believers, but the important part was that both Sarah and Sunshine listened to what the Spirit was telling them. And those, that family... Um, hoping is either on their way back or all the way back to California where they have a home, uh, but they had no money to get back there. So praying that that family has been ministered in a way that makes them jealous of what we are and, and how we act, and that if they are not believers, they would soon become believers. But that was a great example of just listening to the Spirit. Philippians 2.13 for it is God who works in both to <clears throat> that works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. <clears throat> Verses five through eight. For those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Simply put, again, the mind will go where we want it to go. So what do we send our, set our mind on? You know, they, the mind becomes the battleground for flesh and the spirit. And Paul here is contrasting the saved and unsaved, not a, what some people would say as a carnally minded or carnal Christian. The unsaved person does not have the Spirit of God and lives in the flesh for the flesh. And as a Christian, our minds should be set on the things above, as I said. <clears throat> this does not mean that the unsaved person never does anything good and the Christian never does anything bad. The difference is our bent, our nature. Our nature is no longer to feed our flesh. And even as Christians, when we allow our flesh to rule for a moment, we're in rebellion. 
rebellion against God. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus told Peter, when Peter was telling Jesus to avoid the cross, Jesus said, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Verses 6 and 7, we see Paul speak of the carnally minded. As a non-believer continually feeds his flesh, he brings on death. But walking in the Spirit brings eternal life and a peace beyond understanding, particularly if you don't know the Lord. <clears throat> it's our flesh that does not want to be crucified and surrendered to the Lord. <clears throat> I think we see that uh, as I was talking to a brother uh, recently about um, prodigals and unbelievers. and You know, they're not ready or willing to crucify the flesh. I was there. You know, I was having fun. I, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking I could, I, I knew that there was a God. I believed in God. Um, but I thought I had time. And uh, thankfully for me, the Lord was long-suffering. But time is uh, not in our hands. So, you know, if you're not in Christ, there's, there's today is the day of salvation. <clears throat> Galatians 5.24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul's writing that the carnal mind was at enmity with God. The carnal mind, it's not corrupt. It's corruption. It's not rebellious. It's rebellion. Okay, it is, it's deeper than just a, an adjective. It is rebellion. It is destruction. Verse 8, we see that those who are in the flesh simply cannot please God, even if they're doing religious things. It doesn't matter. I, I know I've heard Pastor Tim say it, and I fully believe it, but there's unsaved pastors, elders, deacons, layperson. There's a lot of unsaved people. And uh, as I was telling my wife today that, you know, I'm so thankful that 1 Samuel 7, God says that man sees the outer appearance, but God sees the heart. It's the heart that matters. <clears throat> Finishing up, last few verses here. <clears throat> but if you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. <clears throat> As a born-again believer, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And with that spirit, we have a higher standard. And the, fortunately for us, the power of the spirit is stronger than the flesh. It brings victory. Even though we're destined to die, unless the Lord comes back, now the spirit of life uh, the Spirit gives life to the body today that we may serve Him. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. It is not 
a truthful statement that there are spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled Christians. If a person is not filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not a Christian. I know the Spirit leads me. I desire to honor the Lord. Those are some questions you can ask yourself if, when, you, when you're thinking you're not transformed. Uh, I desire to honor the Lord. Uh, it's a longing to be more like Christ and because Jesus has given me new life. And just as Jesus died and descended into heaven, the old man in me is dead, and I'm a new creature. Not only are we in Christ, he is in us, because God cannot abide in a sinful home, which is our old man. Praise the Lord, that old man had to die when Jesus came in us. Let's pray.